Deuter Jesus Christus, praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, for, uh, as we're, we're going to play a clip, a famous clip you'll recognize, it really is a day of infamy today, uh, July 16th, 2021, the day on which Pope Francis has decided to completely abrogate and really obliterate uh, Benedict XVI's 2007 Motu Proprio Samorum Pontificum concerning the traditional masks. This will be the focus of our show today because it is so important. Uh, as, as the church goes, so goes the world. So we need to put aside our temporal concerns and really focus on this, this spiritual uh, crisis that Pope Francis is putting us in, in a certain sense. Although we know that you know, for them that love God, all things work together unto good. So God will bring good out of this somehow. But lots to unpack today with this breaking news. It was just released this morning in Rome. So, Brian, uh, uh, good day to you. A happy feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It's quite a day. Yes, it is quite a day. Uh, and an important week in liturgical calendar. Again, as I mentioned before, many things happen on dates uh, and for important reasons. Many, you know, our... Uh, Leo XIII had his vision of the, the debate with the devil and composed the St. Michael prayer on May 13th uh, in anticipation of Fatima. So dates, dates do I have... I think it place. might have been October 13th. I mean, excuse but, me, did I say May? Oh, yeah. October 13th. Yes, sorry, October, the, the day of the miracle of the sun, October 13th. Yes. Yes, so as I mentioned, today uh, is the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the, the oldest order devoted to Our Lady, which really goes back to Old Testament times with the prophets Elias and Eliseus uh, on Mount Carmel itself in the Holy Land, and then eventually forming into the modern order of Mount Carmel under St. Simon's Stock, I believe in the uh, either the 11 or 1200s, I forget the exact dates. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the collect for today's Mass really sticks out to me as significant in light of this tragic news that we're going to be discussing today. It says, O oh God who hast honored the order of Carmel with the special title of thy most blessed mother Mary, ever virgin. <clears throat> Mercifully grant that we who celebrate her memory this day with solemn office may be shielded by her protection. That's what we need right now. We need to be shielded by the protection of Our Lady and deserve to come to everlasting joys. The other significance of this week with um, not necessarily liturgically, but it is connected to today's feast is the anniversary of the third apparition of Our Lady of Fatima earlier this week on July 13th. It was the 104th anniversary of giving what I called on Twitter the most important message of the 20th century, which is still impacting us in the 21st century, uh, the giving of the third secret, of course, or the, the entire secret in three parts, but specifically the third secret because we haven't seen the entirety of that text yet. Uh, however, we do know from various authoritative sources the general contents of that text. And I want to read to you a quote. You know, this is a time when we need all need to be doing what Archbishop Vigano has been doing over the last years. We need to start reading. 
we need to start educating ourselves and getting up on all of this information. And if we've read it before, we need to read it again so that it's fresh in our minds and our hearts. So this is what Cardinal Eugenio Pacelli, the, the Secretary of State under Pius XI, said in a private conversation in 1931, which Chris Ferrara quotes in numerous books of his, including False Friends of Fatima. This is a very important book for our subject today. And, and Cardinal Pacelli said, quote, I am worried by the Blessed Virgin's messages to little Lucia of Fatima. This persistence of Mary about the dangers which menace the church is a divine warning against the suicide of altering the faith in her liturgy, in her theology, and in her soul. What was the first thing on the list? In her liturgy. Lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. The way that we pray matters. Uh, Cardinal Pacelli went on, I hear all around me innovators, this is 1931, who wish to dismantle the sacred chapel, destroy the, the universal flame of the church, reject her ornaments, and make her feel remorse for her historical past. A day will come, he said, when the civilized world will deny its God. Sound familiar? When the church will doubt as Peter doubted, she will be tempted to believe that man has become God. In our churches, Christians will search in vain for the red lamp where God awaits them. Like Mary Magdalene weeping before the empty tomb, they will ask, where have they taken him? The other thing I want to mention before we get into the details well, and, and that before you leave that, again, for those who most must know, but uh, Pacelli became Pope Pius XII. Yes. Uh, so that is, he's speaking before he is, but he later becomes Pope Pius XII. And also, again, this isn't just Chris Ferrara reporting. He does quote it in English, but it is from an authoritative history called Devant l'Histoire, which is written in French, yes. uh, where there was a firsthand account of that of that quotation. Exactly. So they, I think Chris was is, one of yes. the first to, de, to discover yes. the quote and start circulating it in English. In English, yes. Yes. So the other thing I wanted to mention is the Fatima connection for today, and also, before I forget, so the connection between Fatima and Our Lady of Mount Carmel is also very significant, yes. because during the miracle of the sun, while the crowd of 70 plus thousand people were watching the sun dance in the sky, the three children were actually seeing a, a three successive apparitions of um, basically representing the joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries of the rosary. Our Lady, I forget Sister Lucia's exact uh, description, but, you know, Our Lady in a, like a white and blue uh, mantle for the joyful mysteries, Our Lady of Sorrows, um, for the sorrowful mysteries, and then Our Lady of Mount Carmel holding out the, the rosary and the scapular. And Sister Lucia emphasized over the years, the rosary and the scapular go together. Our Lady wants them both from us because, as you know, the rosary is the, the weapon she's given us to pray, and the scapular is the external sign of our personal consecration to her. So if you're not already enrolled in the Brown Scapular, Brian and I highly recommend doing so, especially for these times. Yes, especially today, if you can go get it done today. Uh, yes. A very fitting day. And it's not something, it's not a long, drawn-out uh, no. ceremony. It's just you need to find a priest and ask him to enroll you in, in the Brown Scapular. Yes. So 
The other background to today's uh, news, Fatima-related, that I wanted to bring up is from our, our friend and colleague, Dr. Micah Hickson. Um, what, five years ago now, in May of 2016, she published a very important report through 1 Peter 5. The headline says, Cardinal Ratzinger, we have not published the whole third secret of Fatima. And this is what she writes uh, today on the Feast of Pentecost. I called Father Ig... Ingo Dullinger, a German priest and former professor of theology in Brazil, who is now quite elderly and physically weak. And if I recall correctly, he has since passed away. Uh, if I'm wrong about that, I apologize, but I think pretty sure he's passed away since this article. Anyway, Micah goes on. He has been a personal friend of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI for many years. Father, Father Dullinger unexpectedly confirmed over the phone the following facts. This is what he said, quote, Not long after the June 2000 publication of the Third Secret of Fatima by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger told Father Dullinger during an in-person conversation that there is still a part of the Third Secret that they have not published. Quote, there is more than what we published, Ratzinger said. He also told Dollinger that the published part of the secret is authentic and that the unpublished part of the secret speaks about, quote, a bad council and a bad mass that was to come in the near future. So all of this is certainly related and bound up with the message of Fatima. And again, as once a good priest said to me, if they're willing to censor the mother of God and suppress her words, why are you surprised they're attempting to censor the mass? Yeah, very true. Yes. Very true. So we'll turn to our, our story and our analysis. As Matt said, here's a little video clip to set the stage. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace. And again, what what is the uh, connection there? I think I think July sixteenth. Uh, 2021 is a day in the church history that will live in infamy when the tradition of the church was suddenly uh, attacked and violently attacked, unprovoked, yes. notwithstanding what we'll see in a minute of the claims, uh, uh, unprovoked attack. Uh, but again, remember, after that uh, speech of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the United States went on uh, to a certain victory uh, in after following that attack against the Empire of Japan. And you we have our Lord's. Due in part, I was just going to mention to the 1942 consecration of the world, to, which yes. should have been the consecration of Russia, but it was to the world by Pope Pius XII. And I believe even Winston yes. Churchill himself acknowledged that that really was the turning point of the war. Of the war, yes. And, and so, again, I think the, the victory, we have our Lord's assurance, the victory uh, will be for the church and for tradition. But, you know, how, how that works out will be uh, revealed only only in time. Yes. So, uh, as, as you may be aware, was published a, a letter of motu proprio by uh, Francis, 
And uh, it was accompanied by an explanatory letter. And I think we're going to re- start our reporting with the explanatory letter. So just like uh, because, it was uh, Samorum Pontificum, where there was an apostolic letter as well as a letter to yes. the bishops explaining it, same, same, uh, same modus operandi. Yes. And why is that letter important legally? Because one of the key principles of law is that the text of a law is to be understood uh, as the mind of the lawgiver. So that's why, for example, when courts are interpreting an act of Congress, they go and look at the speeches, the so-called legislative history. What were people saying about why they're adopting this law? And that's how you interpret it. And so that's important. Here we have a letter where the lawgiver, and again, I use the term law loosely because this is an (laughs) unjust law that uh, has really of no force, but the mind of the lawgiver is given to us. And I had no chance to read it, but I know Rorate Chaley has got up a canonist who's trying to damage control this, saying, oh, we just have to interpret the law strictly and it really doesn't require anything. Uh, and again, I, I think he's completely wrong. The mind of the lawgiver is how you interpret this, not interpreted strictly. And Francis is very clear, as you'll see in a minute, uh, in what his mind is. So here is this letter. Uh, you can find it on the Vatican uh, website. And as Matt said, uh, he says in the beginning, I'm doing just what Benedict XVI did. So let's briefly, we're not going to go line by line because this is a little longer, but I'm going to tell you essentially what this this letter uh, says. So he starts off, he says, the faculty granted by the indult of the Congregation for Divine Worship in 1984 and confirmed by John Paul II in the Motu Proprio Ecclesia Day in 1988. So what he means by that is the faculty, the ability to offer the Mass as it's always been was above all motivated by the desire to foster the healing of the schism with the movement of Monsignor Lefebvre, with the ecclesial intention of restoring the unity of the church, the bishops were thus asked to accept and with generosity the just aspirations of the faithful who required the use of the missile. Who requested the use. Requested the use of the missile. This is essentially the the point of the letter. He says, John Paul II, again, this is the dance they want to do. Benedict, he's not rejecting John Paul II and Benedict XVI. He completely agrees with them. What he's trying to say is they were trying to do the right thing. Poor John Paul II and Benedict XVI. They were trying to heal this schism. They were trying to bring unity to the church. And they thought, with all goodwill, but with just not understanding things, that this would do it. That letting priests say the traditional mass would bring everything, would make everything honky-dory, essentially. And then what he goes on to say is, poor old Benedict, he thought he could try that again with his motu proprio in 2007. And he goes on to say, the bishops of the world knew this wouldn't work. They were very upset about it. But he told them, just trust me. It'll all be fine. He says, poor Benedict was wrong. This did not restore unity. This has been, uh, you know, a terrible thing that needs to be stamped out. So the spin on history they're trying to give is that all that John Paul II and Benedict were trying to do was sort of gloss over some wounds, bring people back, and it's failed. Again, John Paul II said himself in Ecclesia Day, that's why he authorized the so-called Ecclesia Day communities. He said the movement, again, he didn't say the movement, he said Lefebvre, his schism, people are going with him. If we just let them have their traditional mass, they can have their cake and eat it too. They can come back, they can be in legal communion, and they can have their traditional mass, and this will make everything fine. What Francis is saying is, John Paul II had all the great intentions, but it's failed. It didn't work. And so we need to go a different direction. Essentially, that one line sums up all the reasons for why he's doing it. 
So what is he trying to do? What's the point of the motu proprio? It is to abolish the traditional mass and in time transition those who are stubbornly clinging to it to the new mass. And he's very clear in the letter. That is the end. The end is completely there will be a day in the church when the traditional mass is completely gone and those who used to be attached to it now are transitioned over. Now, how long that takes, six days, six weeks, six months, six years, he essentially says is going to be up to the diocese and bishops. They can decide based on kind of how stubborn the people are in their diocese, how long it will take to sort of move people over. And again, to make this clear, I'm going to quote from the letter again. A final reason for my decision is this. Ever more plain in the words and attitudes of many is the close connection between the choice of celebrations, according to liturgical books prior to Vatican Council II, and the rejection of the church and her institutions in the name of what is called the true church. One is dealing here with comportment that contradicts communion and nurtures the divisive tendency. So again, what is he saying? He's saying what Cardinal Seppe said to John Paul II when John Paul II met with Monsignor Lefebvre in 1978, two months after becoming Pope. And he, he was very friendly to Lefebvre. He met him. He, he embraced him as a bishop. He was, oh, you're really great. And Lefebvre said, why don't you just let us have the traditional mass? And John Paul II said, yeah, that's fine with me. I mean, more or less, he said, just yeah. why don't we do it? Let's call in Cardinal Seppe. So he calls in Cardinal Seppe, who's the head of the CDF. says, well, let's just let them have their mass. Cardinal Seppe said, no, Holy Father. They the banner of this mass. And it is a sign of rejection of the council. And that's what killed the 1978. After that, it was all yep. over. And that so quote that's- is in the official biography. Speaking of yes. reading, it's time yes. to read this if you haven't already. So that is in the Apologia Pro Mosa Lefebvre is the first place that printed it uh, by Michael Davies. I forget which volume. I think it's volume two, if I remember right. So he goes on to responding to your request. And we'll see in the motu proprio what he means by that. I take the firm decision to abrogate all the norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that precede the present motu proprio and declare that the liturgical books promulgated by the saintly, <clears throat> sick, saintly pontiffs, <laughs> Paul VI and John Paul II, in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II, constitute the unique expression of the lex orandi of the Roman rite. I take comfort in the decision from the fact that after the Council of Trent, St. Pius V also abrogated all the rites that could not claim a proven antiquity, establishing for the whole Latin church a single missale Romanum. So several things about this quote. We'll get to the contradictions in a minute. But notice he is very clear. So the people who are out there telling you, oh, he didn't revoke some more pontificum. He didn't abrogate it. Again, they're very shifty. He doesn't in the motu proprio use the words, but he's making clear, I have taken the firm decision to abrogate everything, norms, instructions, customs that go before this. So he is very clear. It is being abrogated. What he does in the motu proprio is go through provision by provision, abrogating it in detail. So at the end, you're left with nothing. But he doesn't use the words, uh, again, so that he can empower. In, in other words, he doesn't explicitly say, I have abrogated Samorum Pontificum, but he actually has. Yes. And this even is without so saying it. that the court apologist can run around telling everybody, go back to sleep, nothing to see here, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He didn't do it. But he's very clear here in speaking to the bishops. Now, the next important thing is he, he is this is directly responding to Benedict XVI says the new mass 
constitutes the, the unique expression of the Lex Orandi. So again, he's, he's saying, and again, this is why they know they can't really abrogate. So he can't use the words, I abrogate the traditional mass. Because they, the canonists and the lawyers know it's impossible because of right. Poprimo. But what he can do is, is like go very close to that and make it appear it. So by saying there's only one Roman right, he's making it sound like he's abrogated. Right. Uh, I mean, unique means yes. one. That's one. what it literally means. Exactly. So again, to all the reform of the reform people, he has just destroyed you. You're gone. So all the Benedict XVI, there's two uses, all the people that supported that. And this is what Peter Krasniewski in the Roman Forum lecture that you can watch on Remnant TV made clear that right. this was all a fantasy, that this two forms of the Roman right, this will work. His conclusion was they are incompatible. And so to right. be honest, this is one of the truthful things Francis is saying. They, they, these, they can't coexist. The Benedict was wrong. Now, his solution is, so we got to just have the new mass. Um, so his solution is wrong, but he is, he is, he's really admitting reality. Now, it's also yeah. important. This phrase is very important. He doesn't say what you would think he would say constitutes the unique, unique Lex credenda, the Lex, the unique, uh, um, Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite. He doesn't bring in the phrase Lex Credendi. Right. So he's sort of vague on that. But we know that the Lex Orandi expresses the Lex Credendi. So yes. this is the unique Lex Orandi. It is the only source of what do we believe in the liturgy. So again, he is, and he's already told us the problem with the Mass is a problem with belief. It's the problem with Vatican II. That the unique Lex Orandi does speak of a unique Lex Credendi, which is Vatican II. This all comes back to, uh, we'll talk about this later, why did the canonical discussions of the Society of St. Pius X break down in 2012? It's because the letter purportedly written from Benedict XVI in July of 2012 said, to go forward, you must accept 100% of the council without error, that it contains no errors, and accept the legitimacy of the new mass. And that's when it was over. When that And that essentially is now what he's returning to. Now, as to the contradiction, this is, again, true historians should just laugh at this. And, and the contradiction is inevitable, is, 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 is hilarious, because he says, oh, we're just doing what, what uh, St. Pius V did, the Council of Trent. He also abrogated all the rights. And then he goes on, he admits they could not claim a proven antiquity. So I'm doing what he did. Well, wait a minute. Paul <laughs> Pius V said, I my decree does not effect in any way, any right was at least 200 years old. Right. So you only had to be 200 years old. First of all, he didn't say there's different Roman rights I'm allowing. He's talking about different rights that are not the Roman right. So the Eastern rights, the Mozarabic right, the uh, um, Ambrosian right. He's saying, yeah. look, if they've been around for 200 years. They or even something like the Dominican right. Or the Dominican more, right, which yeah. was more than 200 years. But But here, Francis is saying, just like him, I'm doing that. But here's a right that exists for more than 200 years. It exists for 2,000 years, and right. he's abrogating it. So again, the I mean, it's really is, sick parody. Of, it's a it sick is. parody. It's the inverse of what St. Pius V did. St. Pius a V was eliminating novelty. Francis exactly. is imposing novelty and trying to eliminate the traditional right of the, of the Roman church. It's Exactly. He was abolishing new things, which he defined as less than 200 years old. Right. So, so then he goes on. While in the exercise of my ministry and service of unity, I take the decision to suspend the faculty granted by my predecessors. So again, for those who are trying to say he isn't revoking it, he's very clear there. I have suspended the faculty. So no priest, 
has the right to offer the traditional So in other mass. words, the provision in Samorum Pontificum that says yes. every priest of the Roman Rite has the faculty apart from the apostolic see and, the, or, and his local bishop, yes. that is gone. Gone. That That's is, what he said. That is yes. nuked. Yes. Then he goes on. I ask you to share with me this burden as a form of participation in the solicitude for the whole church proper to the bishops. In the motu proprio, I have desired to affirm that it is up to the bishop as moderator, promoter, and guardian of the liturgical life of the church, of which he is the principle of unity, to regulate the liturgical celebrations. It is up to you to authorize in your churches as local ordinaries the use of the Missali Romanum of 1962, applying the norms of the present motu proprio. It is up to you. In other words, you better toe the line. Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. It is up to you to proceed in such a way as to return to a unitary form of the celebration and to determine case by case the reality of the groups which celebrate with the Missale Romanorum. Indications about how to proceed in your diocese are chiefly dictated by two principles. On the one hand, to provide for the good of those who are rooted in the previous forms of celebration and need to return in due time to the Roman rite promulgated by saints, sick, Paul VI and John Paul II. And on the other hand, to discontinue the erection of new personal parishes tied more to the desire and wishes of individual priests than to the real need. Which has never been the case. (laughs) So again, the end is clear. There is one Roman rite, it's Paul VI, I have taken away any right of any priest to say any other right. You, though, bishops, in order to sort of transition people, to re-educate people, you can uh, grudgingly allow people that are stubbornly stuck in this previous liturgical form some transition period so that they can, quote, in due time, return to the Roman right of Paul VI. So, again, he's absolutely clear. What is the intent of this law is to take away all the traditional masses, but then let individual bishops gradually sort of sparingly let a few of them back for stubborn people, as long as they're allowed back in a way that transitions them away from it. So they can go to re-education camps in this new Stalinist church where they (laughs) gradually get detached from their stubborn attachment. And again, the letter couldn't be more clear on the goal of, of the law. Right, and that's very clear. I just want to read this quote from the last paragraph of his letter. It says, he says to the bishops, Upon you I invoke the spirit of the risen Lord, that he may make you strong and firm in your service. Service, in other words, your totalitarian dictatorship uh, to the people of God entrusted to you by the Lord. And here's the key phrase, so that your care and vigilance express communion even in the unity of the one single right in which is preserved the great richness of the Roman liturgical tradition. Think of the absurdity of that statement for a moment. Yes. He is saying that the banal, what Cardinal Ratzinger once described as the banal on-the-spot fabrication, the Novus Ordo Mise, is that in that is what preserves the great richness of the, the Roman liturgical tradition. Exclusively. Opposed, exclusively. Yeah. That That's absurd. So... Now, for the rest, we're going to turn and go line by line through the motu proprio so we can explain what's what's going on. It's actually a pretty short text. It is. It is. Um, And you're going to see lots of contradictions. Again, the the, the sure sign of a tyrant 
is contradictions, right? Because it's all whim, personal whim. So there's never any consistency of principle. It reminds me of what Bishop Filet says about Pope Francis. He doesn't care about principles. He doesn't care about doctrines. He doesn't care about consistency. It's all about results. And the result of that is you'll have things that just, if you're trying to be logical or rational, say, wait, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. But he doesn't care about that. So again, you're going to see that very evidently. Now, first of all, titles are important. I think the title of this document and his first two words say it all. Traditionis custodes, the custodians or the guardians of tradition. Right. And he says the guardians of tradition, and then I was going to say in an a, a, apostrophe what that is, the bishops in communion with the Bishop of Rome, right? They're the guardians of tradition. Now, what does he mean? Now, again, the irony, and they love irony in the Vatican. The irony is we're going to, a document that attempts to an, annihilate, nuke tradition, is titled tradition, right? This is what they right. want to do. And they're also playing on the word guardians, custodes, right? Because when the popes have used the term guardians of tradition, they have meant guardians in the sense of keep, of preservers, those right. who protect, who protect it, right? They mean by guardians, prison guards, right? Guard, <laughs> the guardians of tradition who stand outside the prison making sure tradition doesn't get out. That's exactly right. what, as you'll see, what they mean. And the irony is, I was just going to mention, the the irony is heightened by the fact that just a couple months ago, on May 16th, uh, the solemnity of the Ascension, according to the new calendar, the seventh Sunday after Easter, this is what uh, Pope Francis said during his sermon, his homily, quote, keeping the truth does not mean defending ideas, becoming guardians of a system of doctrines and dogmas. So they're they're guardians of the tradition, and yet they're not guardians, not guardians of, of doctrines and dogmas. What does that mean? Again, don't look for rationality. <laughs> You're not going to find logical rationality. Now, the other interesting thing about this is, remember, collegiality is one of the big three errors of Vatican II, is that undermined the traditional doctrine of the church is that the bishop is the monarch of his diocese, that the bishop rules his diocese as an individual responsible ruler, right? That it is not, but what collegiality did was took that away from the bishop. They can't make decisions. They can't decide. They're beholden to the collegial meetings of bishops. So again, this is contradictory. If you notice, they're willing to use old principles when it advances them because this first sentence is the, the bishop, right? Is the visible and foundation of the unity of their particular church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel and the celebration of the Eucharist, they govern the particular churches entrusted to them. That's the traditional teaching, right? That it's the bishop in individually, but they got rid of that in Vatican II. It's the, it's the you got to follow all the norms of, the, of the, the conferences. So again, they're undermining collegiality. Why? Because it suits their purpose. Because he wants individual bishops to be able to come in and be tyrants when it comes to the traditional mass. So yeah, there's a complete undermining of their belief in collegiality right there. Notice no role for bishops' conferences in this. Zero. Right. In order to promote the concord and unity of the church with paternal solicitude toward those who in any region adhere to liturgical forms antecedent to the reform willed by the Vatican Council too. So again, notice this. This is the smiling tyrant, right? right? As I'm about to punish you, this is for your own good. Yes. I'm doing this for your own good, right? And the unity of the church is always their canard. The unity, unity, unity. Again, they, but they want a unity in submission to the positivistic will of the modernists. They don't want a unity of faith, sacraments, and governance. They don't want the true source of unity. 
Now, notice the reform that he's going to beat this drum. Willed by Vatican II. Willed by Vatican II. The new mass is required. It is obligatory. John Paul II, Benedict XVI, granted and regulated. Well, again, Benedict didn't regulate. John Paul II did regulate. He just said it's free. Everybody can do it. Granted and regulated the faculty to use the Roman Missal, edited by John. And I love this, edited. (laughs) Edited by John the 23rd, 1962. In this way, they intended to facilitate the ecclesial communion of those Catholics who feel attached to some earlier liturgical forms and not to others. That's quoting Ecclesia Dei Afflicta. And this is what he explains in the letter. These poor popes thought these just sentimental people who were attached, emotionally attached, You know, we could break them of that by being nice to them, by indulging them. And it failed, he tells us in the letter. It didn't work, so time for a new... Because it wasn't simply an emotional attachment, and it was a a matter of doctrine. Yes. So, he goes on to say, in line with the initiative of my venerable predecessor, Benedict XVI, to invite the bishops to assess the application of the Modo Proprio Samorum Pontificum three years after its publication. Pause. That is true. He said, tell me how it's going after three years. He never said eight years later, seven years later, do it again. Right? So he acts like Benedict XVI wanted to do this, but he didn't. Benedict said, tell me in three years, and he did that, and he was done with it. Right. So that's, again, a mis- mis- misreading. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith carried out a detailed consultation of the bishops in 2020. The results can, I, have been- can I add something just real quickly that came to mind? So as a result yes. of that surveying of the bishops, I think that was part of the origin of a very important apost- uh, subsequent apostolic letter in 2011, uh, Ecclesia University. University. Ecclesi- yeah. Yes, Ecclesia which University. Is, which established, as Chris Ferrara describes in an article for CFN, a legal framework protecting the rights of priests and the faithful to that mass. Yes, so it tried Francis to give- is- more when, protection. You try yeah. to give more protection. So again, the parallel, he tries to draw a parallel when it's 180 degrees. It's the opposite. Of right. um, he then says, uh, uh, they carried out this detailed survey. The results have been carefully considered in the light of experience. Right. That's the 2020 that survey. That, years. And the again, 2020 we've, survey. Yeah. we've been saying this for, since the survey came out. Latin Mass Society, Joseph Shaw said this. The questions were designed to get specific answers. Right. Right. This this has been planned. This has been planned for years. This document. They knew they were headed here. And just like the Synod, they knew the result of the Synod. But then they did these surveys, these questionnaires, these meetings to get the responses they wanted to then justify what they were doing. To give it an air of legitimacy. Exactly. So this was this document was foreseen years ago when they did that survey at this time, having considered the wishes expressed by the Episcopate. And having heard the opinions of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, I now desire, with this apostatic letter, to press on evermore in the constant search for ecclesial communion. <laughs> so, again, notice what he's saying. Oh, this is not me. I'm just doing what the bishops want. I'm just, you know, doing what they want. Again, he, the, but just like the synod. Oh, I'm just yeah. doing what the bishops want. As we've reported on the synods, Get the bishops, make it look like the bishops want me to ordain women priests. And then I'll sort of back off from that and do what I want anyway. He's using the bishops as a, as a stooge, as a, yep. as just a, a front for what he wants to do himself. And then, you know, again, this ever constant search for ecclesial communion. Well, there's no search. We know no. what ecclesial communion consists in. St. Paul tells us one faith, one baptism. 
right? There's no search here. We know what it is. But this is the false idea of ecumenism. We just don't know what we're looking for. Right. Now we get to the actual laws. Here are the, the operative. That was sort of the precatory language. That it, Now we get into the new laws. One, Article One, the liturgical books promulgated by St. Sick Paul VI and St. Sick John Paul II in conformity with the decrees of Vatican Council II. There you go again, right? Beating the Vatican II drum. Yep. Are the unique expression of the Lex Arandi of the Roman Rite. So now what is he saying? He's There's one Roman Rite and it's and again, what's really weird about this is, well, what is the traditional mass now? He's basically saying it's nothing. Like, without saying it's abrogated, he's doing it in a backhand way. Because he knows he can't outright abrogate it. It's, he can't do that because of right. premium. So what is he saying? There's only one Roman rite, and it's this. Well, then what's this over here? It's not the Roman rite. Well, it's certainly not an Eastern rite. Right? So what <laughs> is it? I mean, if it's not the Roman rite, what is it? It can't be anything else. So he's saying it's it's nothing. It doesn't it doesn't exist. He's just it's, it's not being there. canceled. It's being erased. Yes. It's it's gone down the memory hole. So this is yeah. like in George Orwell, 1984. Well, we used to say this, and then the order would come down. That's not believed anymore. So erase it from all the pictures. And that's when right. the the main protagonist he goes through and he airbrushes out the pictures, deletes the articles, and throws them down the memory hole. That's what he's doing in Article One. This is yeah. all that exists now. Article Two. It belongs to the diocesan bishop as moderator, promoter, and guardian, prison guard, of the whole <laughs> liturgical life of the particular church entrusted to him to regulate the liturgical celebrations in his diocese. Therefore, it is his exclusive competence to authorize the use of the 1962 missile in his diocese according to the guidelines of the apostolic see. So what is he saying there? The Underline according to the guidelines of the apostolic this, yes. see. In other words, he's, according to the will of Francis, the dictator pope. Stated in here. So he's saying the right to use the traditional mass that Benedict confirmed is gone. But diocesan bishops can let it out again a little bit as long as they follow the rules I'm about to give now. So, again, this is the irony. He's saying diocesan bishops are supreme. They get to make all the decisions. But now I'm going to tell you what your decisions have to be. I mean, <laughs> that's the irony of this document. Article 1 and the preamble says that Dawson Bishop is supreme. He gets to decide how to regulate the liturgy. But if there's a Bishop Strickland who says, OK, my decision is going to be to let it free. He's saying, no, but you can't do that. You can o- you're only free to adopt laws that I tell you you're allowed to adopt in the next following articles. <laughs> Again, that's the contradiction of this document. So that's what he's setting up, that there's no more ability to say traditional mass. But then the diocesan bishop can decide as long as he does it the way I tell you to do it here, he can let it out. Okay, Article 3. The bishop of the diocese in which until now there exist one or more groups that celebrate according to the Missal antecedent to the reform of 1970. So he's priestly fraternity, Institute of Christ Christ the King, King, whoever, right? Diocesan priests who maybe have like a moderate ecclesia in New Jersey that have a little personal parish. So he's now going to divide the law into two sections. There's going to be existing communities. The one that, unfortunately, John Paul II and Benedict XVI allowed to get set up. Here's how we deal with them and then future groups. We'll see what happens to future groups in the next part. But this is part one. How do you deal with people that are already there? Section one is to determine that these groups do not deny the validity and the legitimacy of the liturgical reform dictated. Now we get dictated by Vatican Council II and the magisterium of the Supreme Pontiffs. And that's almost a direct quote out of the May 5th, 1988 protocol. Um, yes. 
which said number four of which says we declare in addition to recognize the validity of the sacrifice of the mass and of the sacraments celebrated with the intention of doing uh, that which the church does and according to the rites indicated in the typical editions of the roman missal etc you know promulgated yes. by paul the sixth john paul the second but notice that they add not only do uh, they have to recognize the validity but also the legitimacy yes and this That's is important because Lefebvre signed and he accepted that they could, if said with the right matter and right intention, you could have a valid consecration. He always admitted that. Now, yes. individual new masses may be invalid because the individual priest hasn't got the intention or uses a potato chip. But if you follow the rules and have the right intention, he always admitted the validity. But this is what they tried in 2012. They tried to get the society to accept and legitimacy. And this is what Bishop Fillet kept sending back and crossing out and said, we can't accept that. Right. We cannot accept it is not legitimate. Now, again, we don't have time to discuss this. See my lecture from 2019 on is the new mass legitimate? And, you know, why Lefebvre couldn't accept that? Why? And again, why 2012 never resulted in the, quote, agreement? Because they, in the letter purportedly from Benedict to, to Bishop Fillet said, you must accept the legitimacy of the liturgical reform. Now, notice he's now telling the bishops to set up secret police. That's what one's about that you can't just let these groups out there. You need to go out and determine. You need to bring loyalty oaths, is what I read here. You need to go out to these groups. You need to send out the, the Stasi, right? The, the Gestapo needs to knock on these doors and say, where's your third Reich flag? Why is it not hanging out? You need to proclaim. You need to swear your allegiance to the revolution. So again, what I think he's telling the bishops to do in one is go out to these existing parishes and you're going to have to administer loyalty oaths to the party to everybody, and they've all got to swear to the legitimacy of the liturgical reform. Again, right. this has been the implicit deal with the Ecclesia Dei communities, and it was always implicit, that you essentially have to implicitly acknowledge this, but you never have to sign on the dotted line, because you have Ecclesia Dei itself and the, the implementing documents all say, we're setting you up under the understanding that you don't call into question the legitimacy of the new rights. So they never actually had to say we don't call into question, but it was sort of the implication was there. What one is saying is it can no longer be implicit. You've got a sign on the dotted line. It reminds me of uh, Henry VIII and St. Thomas More, whose feast day was last week. What Thomas More did is he just resigned. So if you remember, the oath of supremacy is put forward. If he remained chancellor, he would have had to swear it. Instead of swearing, he resigns. And so the, the first Henry VIII was, okay, the implication is he doesn't disagree with it. He's just silent about it, right? But that only lasted so long. Then they arrested Thomas More and said, OK, no, no, you need to swear your allegiance. You need to swear the oath. And that's he said, I can't do it. This is the Thomas More moment, section one. Anybody who any priest who offers a traditional mass and maybe the faithful, it's not clear, but at least the priest, the bishop is required under section one to go out and determine that they do that. They accept the legitimacy of the new mass. That is what's coming. Section two is to designate one or more locations where the faithful adherents of those groups may gather for the Eucharistic celebration, not, however, in the parochial churches and without the erection of new personal parishes. So now this is the next restriction. If a priest wants to say the traditional mass, OK, but you can't do it in your parish. So you can go to the McDonald's, I guess. <laughs> you can go to the you can go to the Motel 6, but you can't go to a church. I mean, this is the insanity of this provision. So where is it saying the only place you can do it? It's So if a Father Altman wants to have a traditional mass in his parochial cherish, the bishop has to, according to number two, say, no, you cannot do it there. 
remember, this is existing groups. Article three says existing groups. So if there's already a diocesan Latin mass, Father Eckert up in, in Minneapolis, according to the law, Article three, section two, it cannot be done in a parochial church anymore. So parish priests cannot have it there. Doesn't say they can't say it. They can go get permission from the bishop, but they have to go somewhere else outside of a parish. Now, I had a question about this because parochial often refers to like a, a parish with a school attached. Do you think that's what's being talked about or do oh, no, you no, think no, it's no, every that's parish? A, no, every parish. Parochial school means a school in a parish is what that Well, means. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So parochial means a parish church. So where does it mean it can be celebrated? Again, I was being a little sarcastic about McDonald's. Where can it be celebrated? Obviously, in any secular venue, it can be celebrated in uh, a religious community that's not a per, not a parochial church. So a monastery that's permitted, a shrine that's not a parish. So it's, you could say, OK, you can go have a mass in this shrine downtown uh, because that's not a parish or an existing personal parish. So there's some bishops after some more pontificum set up these personal parishes, which are parishes that are not territorial. Those, you could say it there, but you can't set up a new one. So if you right. happen to be in a diocese like Camden, New Jersey, that I referred to, that has a personal parish, the bishop could allow abdasis and priests to say a traditional mass there, but not in his own parish. And that's, this is very, very important because, like I said, he says to the bishop, you can allow it, but you cannot allow it. You are forbidden under Article 1, Article 3, Section 2, to let a diocesan priest say it in his own parish. That That is the most severe hammer and that's they exactly what chris ferrara said back in 2019 he said the aim of abolishing ecclesia day and now this, this new document yes. the aim would be quote a quarantine of the traditional latin mass within a few established societies or communities exactly. followed by ruthless suppression of its celebration by those bishops who have never accepted a uh, samorum pontificum yep. and have sought in every way to undermine its application so again, what what happened? What is unique about Samorum Pontificum? It didn't affect in any way the independent or society by defense priests. They were doing what they were doing. What it did was it brought the traditional mass to more people because parish priests like Father Aldman started saying, like Father Rodriguez started saying it in the yes. normal ordinary parish. And people said, oh, let me check this out. And thousands of people started liking it. And what they said is, whoa, this is too dangerous. Letting it be in the parish, people might actually go to it. We need to get right. it out of the parish. That's what two's about. Okay, let's go to three. Now, for these, these little broom cupboards around where you're allowed to have the traditional mass, to establish at these designated locations. So again, these are the concentration camps. Remember how it proceeded, right? First, you round everybody up and you send them to the ghettos, right? You round them up, let's get them in there, let's group them together. That's what he's doing. Gonna group everybody together in these ghettos somewhere where they're allowed to have it at those designated locations. The days on which Eucharistic celebrations are permitted using the Roman Missal, promulgated by St. John the 23rd in 1962. So, again, they can say you can only have one Mass on Thursdays in these designated locations. Yep. You need to do that. You need to establish. So you can't just say you're allowed to have it over there. In establishing, you must give when it's allowed, what days. In these celebrations, the readings are proclaimed in the vernacular language. Using translation of the sacred scripture approved or literally used by the respective Episcopal conferences. The only time Episcopal conferences are mentioned in the document. So what is he doing now? Again, in this, the same provision, you get to say when and where, and now you're going to start the transition to the new mass by obligating people to use the vernacular. 
in the readings, the epistle. And what's, uh, what's ironic is that, or maybe not ironic, is that this um, this mandate is impossible to fulfill because the traditional, you know, quote unquote lectionary, the cycle of readings for the traditional mass, uh, the Episcopal Conf- there is no translation approved for quote unquote liturgical use. Right, most and priests just read from their the hand missile, which is the Dewey reads. And what Matt's saying is important because some people are saying, "Oh, he's not imposing the new mass readings." Well, he is, and here's why: as Matt exactly said, the traditional readings, which, as you know, differ. The traditional mass uses right. different readings. There's a single one-year cycle that repeats yes. every year. It, there is no officially approved le- translation for liturgical use of those readings because they don't exist in the new mass. Right. And so when he says this, he's really saying you have to use the new mass. But he didn't say it that way. Now, again, that's what's going to become clear later. People are saying, oh, this is no big deal. And it is true there were some indults granted under Pius XII. You see this in France sometimes, a traditional mass, where they can read from the Missal. Um, often the priest may double the text in some places, and just like the, the lector reads it, uh, an ordained lector reads it in the in the vernacular. Sometimes in France you'll see the priest read it. But those were permissions that you see in isolated places in, in Europe, for example. This is not a permission. This is a mandate. What you're going to see, I think, soon is an explicit implementing by the Congregation for Divine Worship saying you've got to use the new lectionary. So, again, remember that end goal in due time to return to the new mass. This is yes. step one. Start okay. using. And, and I wanted to look up the Latin text of this, which actually I found doesn't exist. Right? The irony is <laughs> laws in the church are written in Latin, and that's the official version and translated. There's no Latin text. There's only an English, Spanish and Italian version. The word readings, I'd like to know the Latin because it sounds like epistle and gospel, but I'm wondering if it's meant to imply like all the propers. I I don't know because readings is somewhat ambiguous. The Latin would be more precise. But if it's not, I think that's the next move to change all the propers to the to the to the the new ones. So, again, this is a three is a bombshell. Right. You can limit this to 3 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon and they've got to start using the uh, vernacular readings Four. To appoint a priest who, as delegate of the bishop, is entrusted with these celebrations and with the pastoral care of these groups of the faithful. Okay, so you've got to pick a priest to be the prison warden of these poor, <laughs> sick people, and he needs to be take care of them. Yeah. Right? This priest should be suited for this responsibility, skilled in the use of the Missali Romanum antecedent to the reform of 1970, possess a knowledge of the Latin language sufficient for a thorough comprehension of the rubrics and liturgical texts, i.e. fluent in reading Latin, basically, <laughs> and be animated by a lively pastoral charity and by a sense of ecclesial communion. The priest should have at heart not only the correct celebration of the liturgy, but also the pastoral and spiritual care of the faithful. Okay, what is four about? Four is about the bishops who come under pressure because they have tons of people that want it. So they can have an out. Because remember, this is the, the one hand says bishop's free. The other hand says he's handcuffed. He can only do what I let him do. So four is the handcuff. So the bishop who want to say, look, I'd love to appoint you a priest. I just can't. Why? Because there's no diocesan priests that meet these stringent requirements. Yep. Because notice they're very open-ended. What does it mean to be um, skilled in the use of the Missali Roman? So any new, no sort of priest who starts learning, he says, oh, well, you may know how to do it, but you're not skilled. Let me give you a five-part test on the rubrics of the mass. Oops, you didn't pass the test, 
right? Yep. Oh, you're not competent in Latin. Let me give you a master's level competency fluency in Latin. As Matt said, you've got to be fluent in Latin. How many Dawson priests who are not trained in this way would be able to pass any of these? Then if you have a priest who can actually pass all these tests, he can say, oh, well, you're not animated by a lively pastoral charity and a sense of ecclesial communion. I deem that you're not on board with Vatican II, so you don't really care for the faithful. So you're so there's every which way that the bishop can justify. We should, I would also like to interject that according to these specifications, St. John Vianney would not have been ordained. <laughs> yes. Like, and he Norwich, and his his pastoral zeal far surpasses most. So. Nor would Joseph Cupertino, St. Joseph right. Cupertino. He, he basically couldn't read. He was he was illiterate in Latin. Right. Um, he, he, cause they had to memorize, they had to be able to recite the Bible. And there's a beautiful story when he came up for his test to be ordained priest. There was only one verse of the Bible he could remember in Latin. And that's the only one they asked him to recite. <laughs> nice. But, but again, uh, the point is there, this is set up so there's no way that any priest would be able to meet this criteria because they're either so strict or so vague. You know, you don't have a lively pastoral charity. You don't have a sense of ecclesial communion. And so then they can say to the faithful, well, I know you really want a traditional mass. Just sadly, there's just no priests who are meeting the, the requirements of Article 3, Section 4 in our diocese. Nothing we can do about it. Right. Even a fraternity priest, because here's what they'll say about a fraternity of St. Peter priest. Okay, he's skilled, he's fluent in Latin, but he doesn't have a lively pastoral charity. Remember what the Bishop of Dijon said. He said, I'm throwing you out because you don't have a sense of ecclesial communion because you won't come celebrate. Right. So again, they, even if they say, well, we have a fraternity priest. Nope, he's not qualified. He doesn't have a sense of ecclesial communion. So four is the way for the bishops to say, we could grant some permission, but there's just nobody available. Remember Ecclesia Universiae that Matt referred to in 2011? One of the things that clarified, because bishops were doing this, one of the ways they thwarted some more pontificum is they were giving Latin tests to priests. They were saying, you don't know the rubrics. And Ecclesia Universiae said, no, to be able to say it, they just have to be able to offer the mass properly. They have to understand the rubrics well enough to know what to do. And they have to be able to pronounce Latin correctly. That's what they clarified. So you yep. didn't have to be some Latin genius. You just had to be able to say the mass, right? Four is, again, that's gone. That's completely gone. Okay, let's get to five. To proceed suitably to verify. So once again, we've got this, the, the secret police coming in. That the parishes canonically erected for the benefits of these faithful are effective for their spiritual growth and to determine whether or not to retain them. So notice it was don't start any new ones and go and do an investigation. You're required to verify that these parishes that you were you or your predecessor set up are allowed to remain, whether they are effective for their spiritual growth. Ooh, these are not effective for their spiritual growth because they're stuck in traditional Catholic belief. And so now you get to determine whether to retain them. So again, what does five say? Now he's saying as to the ones that are existing, here's how you restrict them. And in five, you determine when to suppress them. It's up to you when to shut them down. Six, to take care not to authorize the establishment of new groups. There's the final nail in the coffin. So a, a moratorium on new groups. Yep. Remember, Samorum Pontificum said if you had a group, which university, Ecclesia University said no more, you know, 10 was enough, you had to give them a priest. You had to give them the mass. Now he's saying no new groups. No, so it's quarantined, as Ferrara said in six. And five yep. says, now you need to go around sending out the Gestapo to the existing groups to determine that they're not having spiritual growth and start suppressing them. It's all there. This is the game plan. Quarantine new groups, 
execute existing according to your timeline. Then he gets to Article 4. Now, this is a great And spiritual growth, meaning conformity to the council, basically. He's already made that clear. Spiritual growth is you got to have the council. Article 4. Priests ordained after the publication of the present motu proprio, who wish to celebrate using the Missale Romanum of 1962, should submit a formal request to the Dawson's and Bishop, who shall consult the Apostolic See before granting this authorization. Consult meaning get permission. <laughs> exactly. So again, this is another one. Hey, it's all you, Bishop. You get to be in charge. Do not let a new priest ever celebrate this without coming to me first. Right. <laughs> Gives with one hand, takes away with the other. Uh, so again, these they're what they're worried about is these priests who would get ordained and their first mass. We've seen evidence of this just this ordination season, traditional yeah. mass, never again, right? Because now all they have to do is the bishop can say, "Oh yeah, I got your request. I sent it on to Rome. I, I haven't heard anything back. It's in the bureaucratic black hole. Sorry, can't help yeah. you. I'm not allowed under Article Four to give you permission." Uh, and no new, no new priests. So Bye. this should give great pause to young men who are considering a priestly vocation. And maybe considering it. Yeah, exactly. Five. Again, this applies to priests of the Ecclesia Dei communities. This is all priests ordained after the publication of the present motu proprio. So that means fraternity, Institute of Christ the King priests, after they're ordained, need to petition. Again, I don't know what diocese and bishop it would be, but they need a formal request. They can't say mass. So literally, they won't be able to say the traditional mass the day they're ordained without this permission. It doesn't say diocesan priests. That is a universal rule, Article 4. Article 5, priests who already, so existingly ordained priests, an Ecclesia Dei or diocesan priests, who already celebrate according to Missale Romanum, should request from the diocesan bishop the authorization to continue to enjoy this faculty. So if you already have been doing it, you've got to stop and go get permission, is what 5 says. Again, this is not just diocesan priests. Any priest of an Ecclesia Dei communion now needs to go get permission. Now, this doesn't say you have to go to the apostolic seat. So that is all on the bishop. They would be able to grant that more quickly. Six, institutes of consecrated life and societies of apostolic life. So this is monasteries, religious communities, St. John Cantius. This is the fraternity and the Institute of Christ the King, Bon Pastor, all of them. Erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei fall under the competence of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. This is what Ferrara predicted with the suppression of Ecclesia Dei. That was step one. Now this Ecclesia Dei that was absorbed into, into Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, gone. They have now all of these Ecclesia Dei communities that used to report to the Ecclesia Dei Commission, then the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, now are under the um, uh, in, these Institutes of Consecrated Life and um, societies of apostolic life. This is what was predicted. That is the pontifical commission, the pontifical organ that destroyed the Franciscans and the Immaculata. How did they do it? By sending out visitors to inspect all their communities and said, oh, they are not in spiritual growth. They're not in community of Vatican II, and they destroyed the FI. That's who's in charge now. That is who in charge of all those communities, the hatchet holders that destroyed the Franciscans and the Immaculata. That's Article 6 is the death sentence for those communities. It's, it couldn't be more clear because well, they were the trial run, the Franciscans and the Immaculata. That's what's coming because that's now who's in charge of them. And if you didn't believe it, Article 7 says, Congregation for Divine Worship, Discipline and Sacraments, and the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life, Society of Apostolic Life, for matters of the particular competence, exercise the authority of the Holy See 
with respect to the observance of these provisions. Old Ecclesia Day Department, Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, gone. They have nothing to do anymore. So the Ecclesia Day communities are under, uh, what's his name, Brazil de Aviz, the uh, prefect for that congregation that destroyed the FI. And everything to do with the liturgy is now under the CDW, which is now headed up by the old, we reported on this, before he releases, he appointed the English Bishop Roche, who hates the new mass and said it has to be destroyed. So again, that footprint that you've got to use the new readings, now the head of the CDW is the one who's going to be saying, now you've got to be versus Pope alum. Now he has complete authority to say how you say the traditional mass, Article 7. Article 8. Previous norms, instructions, permissions, and customs that do not conform to the vision of this present motu proprio are abrogated. Article 8 is what abrogates the Morum Pontificum. Because everything in Samorum Pontificum, they're going to say, is abrogated by a provision of this, right? Because what about the one priest can say an individual mass, private mass? Well, that's abrogated because you've got to go Article 4 and Article 5. You've got to go and get permission of the bishop, right? So that abrogated the right of every priest to choose between the missiles. Gone, right? And if you didn't believe Article 8... He repeats it. Everything that I've declared in this apostolic letter in the form of motu proprio, I order to be observed in all its parts. Anything else to the contrary notwithstanding, even if worthy of particular mention, i.e. Samorum Pontificum. And I establish that it is to be promulgated by way of publication of Zerva Romano. So for everybody who's going around now saying, oh, he didn't abrogate Samorum Pontificum, Article 8 and the next paragraph make it explicit. But he does it in a way to give them, because again, what does he know the neoconservatives will do? They'll try to rationalize everything. So now they can say, quote me the line that says some Morum Pontificum is abrogated. He doesn't use the word so that they can try to lull everybody into sleep. Oh, he didn't do it. Previous norms, instructions, permissions, and customs are abrogated. I mean, it, it's, it's the most universal abrogation he could come up with. It is done. I mean, he did it. There is no doubt. And if people are telling you that it's not abrogated because he didn't use the words, he did it. He did it. There's no doubt about it. All right. That's our word by word. Where does it leave us? What do we what do we make of this? Well, again, these are the predictions I've been making for uh, a while. What 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 do we think is what do I think is going on here? Um, This is what, uh, again, I think others have predicted as well. He wants to quarantine the traditional mass. He wants it quarantined. Yes. Uh, this is what they saw in 2007 and what the pandemic brought out even more, right, is that when people see this in a normal parish setting, they fall in love with it. And the pandemic brought that out even more. Why? Because it was the only option. And I've met dozens of people who didn't go for a traditional mass. They just said, in fact, I had one is I was just looking for a place to go to confession. And I wandered into this traditional chapel and saw a mass going on. I was like, wow, what's this? Literally, it, it's it's exemplified what's been happening since 2007, that people, if there's a, just a place where they can go, they wander into it. And the few that stayed open for the last year were traditional rites. Yeah. And so they saw as this is dangerous. When people see it, they like it. They want to go to it. And so we've got to quarantine it. So that's number one, the quarantine. Then number two is the end game. So what, what I think the, the game plan is, quarantine it. And then put everybody to the loyalty oath. If they won't swear the loyalty oath, and where's our model? Dijon France and Father Altman, they're going to get suspended, excommunicated, canonically persecuted, 
thrown out, right? The tests are coming. So they get thrown out. Anybody who's left who swears the fealty oath to Vatican II, gradually they're going to get transitioned to the new mass, starting with the new readings. That's, he says, in due time must be brought to the new, new mass. So first is going to be a sorting out. You're going to go to the ghetto. You're going to get expelled and thrown to the ghetto if you don't sign the loyalty oath. If you do, if you decide like those in Thomas More's time who signed the act of supremacy, said, I'm just going to do it to keep my head then you're going to become Protestant because that's what happened to them. The ones that capitulated became Protestant. That's what's going to happen. Now, when's it going to happen? That's where it's open-ended. That's where he's basically saying to the bishops, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. You decide kind of in your diocese how this can happen. So maybe a diocese has got flourishing traditional communities. There's, you know, maybe Dallas, Texas, you know, maybe Lincoln, Nebraska, maybe, right? Places where if we shut it down tomorrow, it would be a huge backlash. Okay, you're going to get more time. You're going to be able to, okay, take your time, do it slowly, start restricting. You know, like that's why I said, will it be next week? Will it be next month? Will it be in a few years? He's leaving that open-ended. But the and end who knows, is he might be sending private instructions to the bishops that aren't published, telling them exactly how to go about this. Who knows? <laughs> well, and that was the report that, that we had a couple months ago, that the next phase will be the heads of the Ecclesia Day communities will be called in and will be given detailed instructions on what's happening. Right. That's the next thing. I predict within the next year, it's going to be announced that there are canonical visitations of all the Ecclesia Day communities. And they're going to begin this process and do reports and then say, we found divisiveness, we found divisions, we found rejection, implicit rejection. Critique there's, of Vatican II, basically, yeah. There's underground traditionalists there. And then they're going to say, these orders need to be suppressed. They're going to remove their superiors. They're going to put in new people. They're eventually going to suppress them, right? Their faculties will be taken away. Yeah. Yes, now, next thing I predict, they're also going to squeeze them at the other end. So that's at the one end. The other end, they're going to get nobody to want to go to their seminaries. Because think about this. What the document says is no bishop may invite in the fraternity to start up a new group. So if you're in a diocese. Right. No without, new parishes. No, no new, new parishes, parish. no new sites, nothing. So why would you be ordained a priest? Right. What, they've got these overwhelming number of seminarians. What are they going to do with them in right. seven years when they get ordained? Well, we have nowhere to send you because we only have... Our existing groups, which are getting shut down, because that's what the bishops are supposed to do, decide whether to retain them, start following. And remember what the Bishop of Dijon said, the motu proprio is coming. This is what's going to happen. So as right. fraternity parishes get shut down and you get new priests, you can't have new ones. What are they all going to do? There's no job for them, right? right exactly. So think about it. If you're a young seminarian, you've got to be going, well, what's my future? I have nowhere to go. There's no point to this anymore because right. this law is is shutting it down. Right. I mean, so, think about the logic. The, the the traditional mass is no longer allowed to be celebrated in parochial churches. That's what the letter says. Yes. No new parishes are allowed. So where are these new priests going to go? They're to a, I mean, there's only so many broom closets, so to speak. <laughs> yes. And again, male priestly religious houses like Benedictine monasteries, they'll probably hang on the longest. Um, because I don't think they're as worried about those, right? Because they're off somewhere, they're isolated already. And what they've made clear is they can't establish a parish connected to it. So the faithful can't go there. There's, they can't get sacraments, they can't get baptisms, they can't, because it's not a parish. They're not allowed to be a parish connected to a monastery. So I think they will survive a little longer because they're already quarantined, right? They'll just say, okay, these crazy monks want to be off somewhere. 
you know, they can do their thing because they're not as dangerous. They're not, you know, but eventually they're going to come after them because they'll do canonical investigations of them. But they're not, I don't think they're a priority because there's not as many, you know, it takes a lot of effort for somebody to get in their car and drive out to a monastery somewhere to go to mass. But if it's in your local church, that's more likely. So I, I think those you know, like Clear Creek Monastery, those may hang on right. for a little while longer. But again, eventually they're going to get their visitation. They're not the priority. Um, and so, again, I think that's the prediction. Now I'm going to make my next prediction um, about what I think Francis's endgame really is. I think it's hidden in the letter. And, and I will admit, I, I did predict that this would come out July 7th. I don't think I was wrong. Here's what I think happened. I, we were told that this was written and signed already. I think they were going to release it July 7th, but Francis went in the hospital is what I think happened. Mm-hmm. Francis went in the hospital and they had to delay while until, because notice he just got released from the hospital and then all of a sudden this right. came out. So they right. looked for another appropriate date. And again, for all the reasons Matt said. So I don't think I was totally wrong. I think it was slotted for July 7th, but again, I was only a week off. Here's my next prediction. Here's what I think Francis' endgame is. He basically said, look, the Ecclesia Day compromise the was... Again, we'll implicitly say, we'll say, hey, you're okay with Vatican II, right? You don't have to say anything. And so you could have situations where priests knew the truth and knew the new mass was bad. And again, I've had fraternity priests private say, look, I can't publicly say this, but privately the new mass has to go. It has to go away. Yeah. Vatican II has problems. But I can't say that publicly because we have this sort of detente with the Vatican. Right. That we just have, we, we'll, you know, we'll keep quiet. We won't say it publicly. You'll leave us alone, Right. That's been destroyed, right? That that's been destroyed. So what he wants to do is... Hox Benedictus is over. Is over. He wants to flush out the closet traditionalists in these orders. So, again, remember we had that the priest, um, Father Nolan, in uh, Denver. I think it was near you. Was it Denver? It was, yeah, Littleton. Right. Who spoke out against the masks. And he was gone, right? He was flushed out. He was silenced. He was sent to the gulag, right? That's what I think is going to happen. Because now there are going to be priests who say, okay, it's now in the... It's the act of supremacy time. It's Thomas More... You need to swear this. And there'll be some who say, I can't swear it. That's what he wants to do. He wants to cleanse them. He wants to get leave only behind those who are willing to overtly compromise. Right? And so there'll be some of them. I mean, there'll be some. So now he'll shrink them down to only those who are willing to compromise. Then he will gradually move that compromise further and further and further. You accept the act of supremacy. Now you'll accept the Book of Common Prayer. Now you'll accept the rejection of the other sacraments. Right? This is This is the model. That's what I think is coming next. So, and then he's going to also make the Father Altman's choose. Again, that's why we have seen before our eyes in France and in Father Altman what's coming. The diocesan priests, they're going to get put to the test. And if they, like Father Altman, won't do it, they will be suspended. They'll be thrown out. They'll be thrown to the gulag. Some of them will compromise. Some of them will rationalize it. Some of them will go to the, the will go out and eat. And then, then what do I think the second step is? And then I'll say, okay, we've got quarantined all the ones who are on the road to Vatican II in the new mass. In due time, we'll get them there, right? We're, we're working on them. Everybody else we've thrown out and are either officially with the site of St. Bias the 10th or kind of quasi like them, right? They're, they're in this limbo of independent. And now what he'll do, he will declare them schismatic. Because he, he already hints at that in the letter. This was meant to skill. He doesn't say the schism of Lefebvre, which is what John Paul II tried to claim. It says right. the schism of the movement. Yes. So this is now the movement. So what it'll say is Which everybody, is twist, completely twisting history. The, exactly. the movement was never, there was never any question about schismatic anything no. with them. But this is what he's going to say. All those priests, groups, and the Society of St. Bison, 
who are affiliated, who follow in the footsteps of the movement of the Fev are in schism. Now, will this be a canonical declaration of schism? Probably not. It'll be some statement, some maybe even in a plain interview, but it'll just say, oh, don't worry about them. They're in schism. They're not in the church. Then what can Francis say? What is the victory he hands to the St. Gallen Mafia? I have purged the church of all traditionalists. Because anybody who's left is already in re-education camps on their way to the new mass. And we have now declared outside the church everybody that's not. And therefore, we are free of traditionalism. It's also what I think explains his nice-nice to the society, his granting of faculties. Why? Because he's making it easier for priests like Father Altman like, to jump in that direction, right? Think about it. It's the, it's the carrot and stick. He's saying, oh, if you, if you can't work it out, hey, you know, they have faculties. If you join them, you can hear confessions, you can marry, you can do all these things. So why he's making it easy for people with, with some kind of scruples on the law to jump over there. Why? So he can do what the Nazis did, put everybody in their particular ghetto and then send them down, then send them to Auschwitz. That's, this is, I think he's very, everything fits together now. Why he is, why he's been smiling on the society, treating them nice, nice. So that when he came with the hammer, the people he wants to get rid of will run in that direction. And again, I'm not saying they will formally become members, uh, that they will be in a same, same kind of canonical limbo, frankly, where Father Altman is, right? The same kind of place that right. they are. That's what I think is the end game. If he, if he lives. I mean, again, we don't, these are predictions on the assumption he remains Pope. How long it takes, we don't know. Humanly speaking, that is the trajectory I think we were on. Um, but again, who knows what could happen? He could die next week. He, you know, we don't know. But I think if he lives as Pope, this is the direction that he's he's going. Yeah. Oh but we don't want to despair. Again, I think we need to say we don't want to despair. Um, number one, for all those people that are already in that category, the Society of St. Pius X, independent monasteries like uh, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe in Silver City, uh, you know, the those... Um, those groups, this has zero effect on them, right? Because remember, the society said, we, we don't need some more pontificum. We were doing this long before. We claim quo primo. This is this was unnecessary. Bishop Fillet said when he asked for some more pontificum in the demands that he made to, to John Paul II in 2001, he said, we do not ask this for ourselves, but for the rest of the priests in the church. So this will have zero effect. Again, if there's anybody who goes to masses like that, don't even spend a second worrying about that. And it's very clear because they're not under, they don't report to diocesan bishops. So they don't need permission of any diocesan bishop, right? So right. none of this applies to any of them. So if you're in a situation there, just just don't even worry. You're fine. There's nothing for you to worry about. For other situations, this is a time I've been saying for weeks to pray for priests. This is their John Fisher, Thomas More moment. And, and Archbishop Vigan has already told them what to do. Right? He said, in his response to Catholic Family News, in his statement to Claude Bart, uh, Father Claude Bart, a few weeks ago that we reported on, he said that they cannot, you cannot be told, you cannot say the traditional mass, you do not have to believe in Vatican II, just do the right thing. And he says, that's all you have to do, just, they cannot stop you from saying the Catholic right, they cannot force you to believe these novelties, and if they persecute you, they persecute you. He says in the response to Stephen Cox, what can they do to you? Throw you out of your, literally, throw you out of your rectories, take away your faculties. These are just persecutions. Just be prepared for them. And what does he tell the laity in that letter to do? Be prepared to welcome these priests. So this and is to what. to support them do. with their, to provide yes. for their temporal needs. 
And again, notice he, uh, Father Altman was, again, our model. What happened? What did we see when Father Altman was kicked out, was suspended? A, a GoFundMe page came up. They raised in the first two weeks, I think, $800,000. An organization, Liz, yours behind it, uh, was formed to support faithful priests. Coalition for Canceled Priests. Yes. Coalition for Canceled Priests. This is the competence of the laity, right? We can't preserve the traditional mass on our own. We can't ordain bishops. We can't offer mass. But what we can do is provide for the temporal needs of priests who remain faithful. So now is our time to organize. If you are in a diocesan parish, if you are in a fraternity parish, get together, start pooling resources, start organizing. Go to your priests. Say, Father, we know what's coming. Don't worry about a thing. If they come, if the gulag shows up for you and says, swear to Vatican II, or what are they going to do? They're going to say, offer a new mass. Remember what they did to Lefebvre when um, the priest came to a cone in 76 when he was supposedly suspended? He walked into the chapel and said, here I have a new missile. If you will say one new mass with me, all of your legal problems will go away. Is that the suspension will be lifted if you say one new mass. That's what they're going to do. So tell your priest now, don't wait for it to happen. Say, Father, if they do it, don't worry about a thing. We will be here. Pick up the phone. Call us. Don't do it. We will be here. If you get thrown out, we will have a room for you. Start getting, if people have rooms in their houses, get them ready, right? Get chapels built in the basement. Do what you need to do and tell, but don't wait. Tell the priests now. If you have a Father Altman priest in your parish, go to him and say, Father, because again, it's easy to say, I do the right thing, right? It's easy to say, I wouldn't say a new mass if they asked me, but you're not the priest. You're not in that situation. You don't have your whole life to, I mean, again, they, what are they going to do? How is he going to support himself? Poor Father Altman was caring for his parents. Right. He can't just worry about himself. You need to say, don't worry about it. We will take care of you. We will provide you an altar. We will provide you a home. We will feed you. We will pay your medical bills. Make it so their only choice is between right and wrong, that any of these other prudential factors are off mm -hmm. the table and encourage them and pray for them because their time, their great time. And that's why I don't look at this in terms of fear. This is a great moment. This is, remember St. Therese said, I wished I lived in the time of the martyrs. She said, I wished I lived in the end times so that I could be called upon to make these great choices. Priests who are living now, who have been moving towards tradition, this is your moment. Again, the sizing Pius the 10th priest, there's no moment for them. They did that when Lefebvre did it years ago. They did it on the day of their ordination when they signed up for it. They already made their choice and they're fine. They, they, even Archbishop Vigano told us in his letter to Claude Bart, he said, the society will be unaffected because they have bishops and they have their own properties. Yep. So there's nothing they can do. They can say, stop saying that mass. Okay. We, we have a right to do it. Well, we're going to, we're going to, what? You can't do anything, right? right? But the fraternity doesn't own their own parishes. The, the father, the, the Asian priest don't own the bishop does. So what can the bishop say? Look what happened in Dijon. You won't say the new mass? I'm taking my property back. You're out of here. Yep. The society owns properties. So they're going to be untouched by this. This is not their moment. This is the moment of the priests and the Ecclesia Dei communities and the parish priests. This is your time to be saints, to be martyrs for the mass. And we need to be there, the laity. We need to be offering sacrifices, prayers, penances. And we need to be telling them, we're praying for you. We're there for you. Do the right thing, Father. So that when the, when their Gestapo shows up, they know they have an attic to go to and they don't have to be tempted to sign on the dotted line. And that's why I urge all the faithful to do this now. Get prepared. Be ready. This persecution is here. It's not coming. It's here. Now, if you're in Bishop Strickland's diocese, maybe you won't see it for a while. Right. You may be OK there. If you're in La Crosse, get ready. 
right? We know that. Get ready. Right. Again, but Bishop Strickland or Chicago be, or, or New Chicago York, or New York or Newark or, or any, Newark. Yeah. Again, but Bishop, I wouldn't sit back if you're in Tyler because although I don't think Bishop Strickland will do anything, I think he'll be a haven. I think he will try to help priests that come there. But what will Francis do next? He'll accept his resignation. He'll remove him. Absolutely. It's not the a hammer per- will come down. He, Francis is not going to tolerate noncompliance with his orders from the bishops. He will not. So, again, I, I applaud Bishop Strickland, and I think he will be a haven. But as Father Altman said, he can't just go there uh, if he wants no, There to will be consequences for bishops who refuse to comply. So, again, you may have a reprieve. You may be in the far northwest of England where they haven't come to you yet in a bishop like but it is only a temporary reprieve because someday you will have a new bishop again look at lacrosse that's the prime example that you know who the bishop of lacrosse was cardinal burke he's right. the one who invited in the history of christ the king promoted tradition there that was two bishops ago and now we have a bishop punishing you know that's the case model for what will happen to, to these places is lacrosse that's what's coming so again you may have more time to prepare depending where you're located but this is what's coming unless, as Chris Ferrara says, unless the uh, asteroid intervenes in between, right? Unless something <laughs> totally, you know, changes the course of history and, you know, we have a miracle and the period of Russia is consecrated and a period of peace is given to the world, right? right. Uh, but humanly speaking, that's the track we're on. So I don't mean to say that will happen, but unless right. God intervenes, that's the track right. we're on. And again, we need to prepare ourselves, fortify ourselves as the laity. If you have not been enrolled in the Brown Scapular, get somewhere, get enrolled, find a priest that will do it for you. Uh, because as Our Lady said, the scapular and the rosary will maybe all you have left. If you're in a, an area of the country where it's all going to be suppressed, you may only have the rosary and the scapular until until a missionary priest can get to you. Um, so right. I don't think it's a message of fear. It's a message of hope. And again, excitement. I think it's what Archbishop Vigano would say. It's, it's and I'm sure he'll be issuing a, a response to this oh, in very short order. I'm certain he will. So let us do not give in to despair. Because remember, we know they will fail. As Benedict XVI had to admit, non abrigat, right? It cannot be abrogated. They cannot stamp out tradition. It will remain that the jaws of death will not prevail. Right. They may swallow a lot. Right? They may gnaw a lot, but they will not prevail. Tradition will survive. We may have a lot to go through to get there, but the victory is won. And, and there's a good priest that said to me, and he's the one who said very excited about this, because he said, when the devil is the most noisy, when he's striking out, when he's persecuting, is when he knows he's losing. He sees the writing on the wall. My subtle tricks are about to be exposed. I'm about to be defeated. And that's when he lashes out. Remember, right before the Edict of Milan, when the church won tolerance, we had Diocletian the most vicious persecution because the devil knew it was ending and he persecuted the most. So again, when the devil is the loudest is when we look to the heavens because our deliverance is at hand. He is about to be defeated. And again, about, do I mean a few weeks, a few months, a few years, we don't know, but we know he sees it is that the tyranny of Francis and Vatican II is coming to an end. And this is their last desperate effort to try to do as much damage as they can before they lose. And I'd like to offer, as we wrap up today's show, and we thank you for joining us, uh, there's a beautiful, beautiful reading that I encourage everyone to read today and meditate upon. It's from the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiasticus, sometimes known as Sirach in the Old Testament. And this is, I just want to read a couple of verses. It's starting from the verse one in chapter two. It says, son, 
When thou comest to the service of God, stand in justice and in fear and prepare thy soul for temptation. Humble thy heart and endure. Incline thy ear and receive the words of understanding and make not haste in the time of clouds. Wait on God with patience. Join thyself to God and endure that thy life may be increased in the latter end. Take all that shall be brought upon thee, especially the priests, and in thy sorrow endure, and in thy humiliation keep patience. For gold and silver are tried in the fire, but acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. But then it goes on, believe God, and he will recover thee, and direct thy way, and trust in him. Keep his fear and grow old therein. It goes on for several more verses. So I encourage you to look that up in your Bible in the Old Testament, just before the book of Isaiah. So well, I think thank that, you. Thank yes. you for your patience. And again, we apologize. We had other stories prepared, but this, this obviously trumped everything. Um, and again, if, please, if you've enjoyed our analysis and discussion, please share this. You may be getting friends and family saying, oh, what's going on with this? What, Send them this video. So here, this watch even this. Get, I just happened to notice this even has a, a Yahoo News article. So, yes. I mean, it's every everybody knows this is a big deal. Yes. So please share this video, like it, send it around, and we will be doing some potential follow-ups. So watch social media and our website as, as some potentially uh, further analysis and discussion develop over the coming days. Um, yes. So thank you for your attention and we'll end as i said with the the most important thing we can do praying and particularly yes. commend in our prayers all the priests who are attached to tradition bishops and priests that they will rise to the occasion yes in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, oh, Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion, that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray for us. St. John Vianney, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Stay tuned to social media and our website for further follow-ups. God bless.